Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. To convince a child to keep walking, try switching roles with them. Let the child play the role of the parent. They'll immediately do what you want them to do. You are raising in your home people that the Bible is very clear about their status. They need to be converted. Not just a conformity of their behavior. They need a transforming encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate priority. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And away we go. It's the Wretched Radio Mail Call Delivery Bag Q&A Infotainment Nationwide Extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Not really. Well, here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Friel. The mail is here! Ooh, this is Wretched Radio. 1,200 is not above average because I've been away from my computer for a few days writing like a nobody's business. Have a book done Headline coming up, tick, tick, tick. So I've been away from my desk and I haven't opened my computer and I've seen the number of emails and let's just say 1,200 is not a bit above average. Please keep them coming. I will go through all of them. We use so much of what you send in, whether it's a question, comment, conundrum, snark, story, sermon, article, please send it to idea at wretched. Starting with Daniel today, he says, Todd, I'm 17, been going to church my entire life, and recently... Wait, 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 can I, can I just, can I just point out so that we can all enjoy this for a moment? Okay. You got a 17-year-old. Yes. Who goes to church all of his life, so he's got a good mom and dad who bring him to church. Right. And he's writing in to a Christian program. Mm-hmm. Let's just drink that in for a moment and enjoy that. Not very common. Well, there's there's enough of them out there, but it's it is rare these days to see exceptional young people who are striving to be semnus, to be dignified, to be godly, to put down their toys and pick up their Bibles, to stop playing games and start serving in church. They exist. They're just not as common as we'd like them to be. What did Daniel have to say? Well, he's been wondering recently what exactly Sunday service should be. Should we be preaching the gospel each week to a group of presumably saved congregants or digging more into Christian living? Yes. So please send your questions, comments. That would be the short answer. But I did actually hear three statements or questions in his email. One, how do we do church? What what goes on? Good news, you and I don't need to debate it. We don't need to have an argument. There's no reason to call a church meeting. We don't need a vote. God has determined what worship is supposed to be like. And I would suggest there are two things that we would do well to focus on. Number one, the regulative principle of worship, which will guide the contents of your Sunday morning service. The public reading of the word, the preaching of the word, praying, worship, songs, singing, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and communion, I believe, is included in that list. Those are the elements that God has determined, that's what I want. What we want, that's irrelevant when we remember the second thought regarding what the contents of our worship should be. At whom are they aimed? Just drove by a church called Influencers Church. Could that be more man-centered? Could that be more, hey, come here and you're going to be an influencer-centered? What are so many churches about these days? Me, 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 me. 
Instead, it should be about what God is about. What is God doing in the universe? Did I mention I'm writing a book? Well, it happens to be on my mind. And each chapter goes about the business of relentlessly trying to persuade that everything that we see, everything that we experience, every form of knowledge, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it is pointing toward one thing, God, not us, God, specifically the redemptive work of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. That's what the universe is about. Wouldn't you think our church services should be about that too? Shouldn't you think especially church services should be about Jesus, 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 which brings us to Daniel's second and third questions, which are preaching the gospel and application. It shouldn't be an either or. It should be a both. The balance of it, the scales can tip a little bit each way each week based on whatever the text happens to be. But the gospel should be preached, not just for the unbelievers who are present. There's always going to be tares amongst the wheat, and we do well to preach the gospel so that they can hear it every week. But I would suggest to you that it shouldn't just be in the sermon where that happens. The whole service should be focused on this because that's what the universe is focused on. Then this just guides us. So our prayers and our petitions and our confessions, anybody who's there who's not saved should be getting the message. Uh, I'm in hot water without Jesus. I need a savior. Oh, he is one. He's amazing. They should hear that throughout the service, and so should the saints. We need the gospel. We don't graduate from the gospel and then get into headier theology. We constantly need to be growing about in our knowledge of what Jesus did for us. I created a list once, give or take, 30 things were accomplished on the cross. 30 things. Now, that should provide a panoply of talking points for a pastor because it is very easy for the gospel in a sermon to become a terrible, formulaic, rote schnooze. You know this predictable pattern. The pastor's preaching on the book of Nehemiah. Would you like to be a Nehemiah leader? Look at what a great leader he was. He built the walls. He organized the systems. He was successful. So go be a Nehemiah leader. And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, okay, we're all familiar with that song and dance. We need to do better than that. And we should be freed up to talk about more than just saying, okay, you're a sinner. Jesus is a savior. There's so many ways of saying that. First of all, it should come from the text. There should be something in the text that leads you to Jesus. Talk about that aspect of him or that aspect of his redemptive work. And you can do that anywhere in the Bible. I'm telling you, you can do it in any book of the Bible. You don't want to allegorize scripture. You don't want to find Jesus under every rock in every verse, but he most certainly is in every book. And if we can't find him there, uh, we need to spend more time searching. Let me, for your consideration, take you to the book of Proverbs. This is the book of Proverbs. That's the Old Testament. Let's pick chapter 12 once I find my cheaters, which are fuzzy. Jimmy, you want to explain this ophthalmological mystery to me? Okay. Went to the eye doctor. Yeah. I'm 2020. And he prescribes me 2.25 cheaters. What's I don't, what? Huh. Seriously, I, I look at the thing. I'm talking to this guy. 
Super nice fellow, really smart guy. I, I honestly, I don't know how a doctor, eye doctor cannot believe in God, at least. The, oh, the eye is so intricate. How can you say, nah, it just happened all by itself. So he hands me the little sheet at the end. Struggle to read it because I didn't have my cheaters on. And it said, literally, there were three categories, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20. And then here's your prescription. What? I don't. <laughs> mm. Proverbs chapter 12. So this is through rather schmudgy 1.5s. 12 of Proverbs. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. Okay, let's just stop right there. You can't preach the gospel from that? Seriously, sir, you might want to go back to the basics. This is wisdom literature. So I start by asking the question we should always ask in hermeneutics, what genre am I in? Oh, it's wisdom literature. And who is the wisdom of God? Oh, yeah, Jesus. So everything that is personified here as being wise, Jesus was and is. And in this particular text, now you could preach the gospel two ways from each and one of these verses. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. How many stupid people do we have here today? I'll put my hand up first. I hate correction. I hate it. Guess what? I am in big trouble because I'm being foolish. I'm being rebellious. I need a savior. In fact, I need a savior who was never stupid, who was never foolish, who was always wise, who always sought counsel. We have one. His name is Jesus, the wisdom of God. Verse 2, a good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a bad man, wicked man, but a man of wicked intentions, oh, I need the 2.25s, he will condemn. Um, ever had any wicked intentions? Yeah, me too. Desiring, scheming, not loving, conniving, shading. Anybody here innocent of those charges? Good news. Did you hear the entire verse? A good man obtains favor from the Lord. Do you know who was never a schemer? Jesus. He never, ever shaded it, manipulated it, tried to take advantage of Never once. Can you imagine? Never once. He is the good man that we need who has obtained favor from God on the behalf of the wicked, conniving, foolish people that we are. Okay, you can't preach the gospel from the book of Proverbs. There's something wrong. You can't preach the book of Nehemiah and come up with more than just leadership principles from Nehemiah. Are you kidding it's a spectacular story of God being faithful to his Abrahamic promise of a land, a nation, and a seed who happens to be the offspring Jesus Christ, as revealed in Matthew's one's genealogy. So what's the contents of a sermon? Jesus, should we apply it? Absolutely. We need to be doing both. This is Wretched Radio. 
Hey, Tomorrow Club supporter, this message from Paul Marty, the director of the Tomorrow Clubs, is just for you. You know, it's been more than 25 years now since my wife Cindy first brought leaders and kids together for the very first Tomorrow Club. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been touched. We're grateful for all the ways you help kids in forsaken places learn to follow Jesus. Thank you for your support of the Tomorrow Club's $30 a month Disciples 30 Kids in Eastern Europe and now in Africa, where Tomorrow Clubs anticipates they could be opening up 100 new clubs in a year. Would you please consider becoming a Tomorrow Club supporter? Kids clubs that meet in forsaken places, they get loved on, they hear the gospel, they memorize Bible verses, and they're getting saved. To support your own Tomorrow Club, please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. I want to share with you voicemails we receive nearly daily here at Wretched. Wretched Radio has just really impacted my life. Just really brought me closer to God. Through your video, God saved me. Wouldn't know what to do if I didn't have NRB and Wretched TV. Just wanted to say that Wretched has changed my life. We are grateful to hear the testimonies of our listeners and our viewers, and we want you to also hear the lives that are being impacted by you, our gospel partners. These testimonies aren't about Todd. They're not about Wretched Radio or TV. We wouldn't be able to do the things that we do at Wretched without the support of our gospel partners. So would you prayerfully consider becoming a gospel partner today if you aren't already? Help us to reach the lost all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ because ultimately the glory is all His. It's not Wretched's. It's not even yours. But it is your efforts that help make our efforts possible. And all of those efforts are to the praise and glory of God alone. Get complete details right now at Wretched.org slash donate. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MediShare, affordable, biblical, health sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's healthcare bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Attributes of God God is a person. He is not a detached, impersonal force. He is a conscious, self-aware being with a mind and a will. He has made himself known through Scripture, and most of all, he wants you to know him personally. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. You are listening to a man who's pretending to not be stupid. Friel, that ain't a blast of information we did not know before. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, in an effort to look super humble, I'm going to ask you to grade my attempt to turn Proverbs chapter 12, 1 and 2 into a gospel presentation. Huh? Uh, you didn't like it. No, 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 no. It was good. Yeah, oh, yeah. no. I got it. That's uh, fine. 
I am never going to ask you again. I hope you've enjoyed this mock humble presentation. What would you have done differently? Nothing. You did fine. Oh, nothing. <laughs> you did good. It's too late for that. Please send your emails to idea at wretched.org. Idea at wretched.org. Questions, comments, conundrum, snarks. Jimmy, can I share something before you start dipping back into the mailbag? Absolutely. This, this, if you've never heard this statistic, I hope it gets your goat. This just causes me to go, as if abortion isn't terrible enough, as if abortion isn't wicked enough. You see this, new study shows impact men have on women's decision to get abortion. 42% of men had either strongly urged or suggested their female partner get an abortion while 31% did not give her any advice. Hey, cool, what do you think that he wanted? No, I'm just gonna stay out. You wanna go ahead and take the life of our child, you do that. Only 8% said they strongly urged against having an abortion. 8%. 34% of respondents were married to women who got an abortion. Lovely, while 29% were living together and another 29% were seeing each other. I gotta tell you, Two thoughts. One, this is I'm telling you, this is why preborn is important. This ministry, yep, it does ultrasounds, 28 bucks a piece. 80% of the time, mom chooses life. But they also preach the gospel to mom, and they try to get the pop involved, married or otherwise, because they know this, the key to stopping the cycle of abortion is that mom and dad get saved, and so they preach the gospel. But it also reminds me, that you have a lot of woman, women sitting in your church who have been coerced by a man, perhaps against their better judgment, perhaps they were threatened and intimidated, perhaps it was their father that drove them, dropped them off, and paid for them to abort their child. And there they sit in our churches. We got to be preaching the gospel to them. We, we have to be proclaiming anytime we talk about the subject of abortion, frankly, and if we ever talk about it in any sort of way that is convicting, we need to be offering the balm of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, hold on. Um, all right. Actor, Milan, actor Milano Vaintrub? Jimmy, you're a fan of hers, aren't you? I have no idea. I don't either. Uh, this Is Us is the name of her okay, yes. show that apparently made her famous. My birth story is inseparable from my abortion story. Mm. Saying that the utmost unbearable pain of her labor and delivery made her even more sure that no person should have to go through it unless they want to. Quote, becoming a mother has made me even more adamant about access to safe, legal abortions. I now know how hard it is carrying a bowling ball human to full term. I know the backbreaking it will take to give birth to a baby. I know the toll of sleepless nights, the necessity of support, the pause it puts on your career and relationships. I cannot fathom the cruelty <coughs> I cannot ima imagine the cruelty of enduring all this plus a lifetime of childbearing if you do not want it. Okay. Um, she needs to be convicted of her sin, but she still needs to be offered the forgiveness of sins offered through Jesus Christ. That's not the article. I ah, here it is right here. This is from op-ed contributor. Where's my 1.5s? 
from Christian Post. According to live action, June 20 poll, 2020 poll, a poll on the abortion pill demonstrated 77% of women regretted their abortions. 83% of women said they were changed by their abortions. 77% of the 83% said it was a negative change. So in other words, not many this is us comments. 77% said they regretted it. 60% reported feelings of isolation and alienation. 38% reported problems with anxiety, depression, drug abuse, suicidal thoughts as a result of the abortion. 50% said that the baby's father or family members used negating language as a means to justify a woman's need for abortion. Those women are sitting in your church. They're wounded. And they've never heard in so many churches that that sin is forgiven in Jesus too. The Bible does not put a little asterisk after the good news that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, asterisk, unless you've had an abortion, unless you've done something really filthy sexually, you can't be forgiven. But everybody else, you're good if you believe in Jesus. Hardly. We need to be announcing to our congregations on a regular basis, and I can tell you this from experience, I've seen it with my own eyes. When I talk about this subject and this sin, and joyfully proclaim that if you're here today and you feel like a second-class Christian, it is time to get out of the back pew. You are in the front row in God's kingdom with everybody else. He does not discriminate. He is mighty to save. And if you've repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ, all of your sins, including the sin of abortion and a million more wicked abominations that you have fired at the throne of God, forgiven, gone, cleansed, forgiveness, yours. I think we could be doing that more regularly. Please send your emails to idea at wretched.org. See, Jimmy, that goes, you can even do be doing a sermon on life, which you can when you run into it in the text or when it lends itself to the subject, and you can still preach the gospel. The trick of this is not sitting there and going, all right, all right, um, I got to come up with a gospel presentation. No, you need to look at your text. And see it there, jumping out, popping off of the pages, going, preach me, preach me. Please send your emails to idea at wretched.org. Okay, from John. Todd, I have a concerning view of heaven. I don't know if it's due to my human broken brain, unable to truly grasp what eternity means, but the idea of being in eternity, even heaven, is almost terrifying to me. Hmm. I'm so thankful that a wretch like me was called by God to himself, and I know eternity will be, I know what eternity will be with him now, but I cannot get over the intensity of of eternity. That's interesting. Okay, I've got little to go on here, but John, let me just maybe offer this as something that you can explore in your heart. Maybe it is because your life has actually been, if you had to put it on a scale between bitter and sweet, it's kind of like... You know, it's, it's, mostly, it's pretty good. Yeah, there's been some stuff, but it's pretty good. That's lovely if that has, that has been God's providence for you. But if we don't stop to, to ponder our own sinfulness, the state of human affairs, the wickedness that abounds, 
the evil that is perpetrated, the devastation that is wrought from so many rebellious choices, if we don't look around at this world and feel some of these things, you're not going to look forward to eternity as much. You're just, you're just, because it's like, well, yeah, this is pretty good, but I don't want to do it forever. Well, when you realize that this place is not our home and it is not all sunshine and roses, if it has been for you, praise God, but it hasn't been for a lot of people in your life, we do well to hear these stories and feel them. And I, you know what? It's not just emails sent to idea at wretched.org. I have friends. I know, not many, but I've got a couple. One of them was just buried on Saturday. And by the way, just as a side note, he actually, <laughs> this was beautiful. Ray, he years before he died, he cre- I think he came up with like six points that he wanted the pastor to preach at his funeral. And the first thing that he said was, please remind my family that I love them. Two, preach the gospel. Three, let a particular friend speak in church. Four, preach the gospel in such a way that they will know that they must run to Christ. Five, if they happen to be an enemy of mine and they happen to be at this funeral because they want to make sure I'm dead and they think best place for him is hell, then tell them to repent or they're going to spend eternity with me if that's what they think and let them run to Christ. Six, Remind my family again that I love them. Their family is aching and hurting. Their church has suffered a loss. And if we don't enter into that, we kind of skip over the surface of life thinking, okay, life is kind of, hmm, they kind of they go on a trip. It's a little bit better here. But the kids acted like that. It's not so good there. But overall, hmm, now take a look around. And when you realize heaven will have none of it, None of it. In fact, it'll have not only none of it, it'll have the opposite of it. And you will be very glad that you get to be there for eternity. Get your copy of 50 Days of Heaven by Randy Elkhorn at Wretched.org. Did I just say that? I was thinking it, but this is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, at least 28 people in New Zealand have ended their lives by euthanasia or assisted suicide since it became legal in the country three months ago. A recent poll concluded that over 80% of those who voted for the referendum that allowed the law claimed they misunderstood what the law would actually do. Imagine that, not being clear in your intentions so you can sneak laws onto the books. That sounds kind of American. Here's exciting news you may have missed. The Black Lives Matter organization and its affiliate organizations raised $11 billion. That's billion with a B. $11 billion in the year 2020. And no one knows where all the money has gone. Also, no one knows who's in charge of the organization because apparently all of the supposed leaders have abandoned the group. I mean, getting your share of $11 billion can make anyone want to scoot. And supporters are starting to question what the group has actually done for the black community. With one tweeting the information that one chapter of the group has given more money to trans activism than black civil rights. All doesn't seem well in the Marxist organization. Well, did anyone happen to notice any of the woke Valentine's Day cards that were sold pretty much around the country this year? Cards like, 
it's okay to say we're not okay, and taking care of our mental health is a sign of black love. Man, I tell you what, that kind of victimhood and hyper-racial poetry, it just screams, be mine, doesn't it? President of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Al Mohler, recently said an increasing number of evangelicals believe gambling not to be a moral issue. But as Mohler pointed out, gambling is a vice and it's problematic in a biblical worldview. Millions of families are negatively impacted by gambling every single year. It becomes a nasty addiction for many that breaks families apart. And the Bible clearly teaches that hard work is what's rewarded, and greed and coveting are immoral. Recent reports have indicated that thousands of Jewish people are fleeing Ukraine as Russian troops prepare to possibly invade. And authorities in Israel are preparing to welcome as many Jewish people that come. And the Israeli prime minister has encouraged those living in Ukraine to leave as quickly as possible. Lee Strobel, the best-selling author and journalist, is set to release a new documentary based on his latest book, The Case for Heaven. The movie is set for release in April and will discuss in detail life after death. A pastor in Minnesota and his wife have resigned their positions following allegations of abuse and concealing abuses committed by family members on the church's staff. The initial incident in question dates back to 2018 and involves the pastor's son-in-law and daughter. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important Dates in Christian History 800 A.D. Charlemagne, the grandson of Charles Martel, is crowned emperor by the Pope on Christmas. He ushered in the Carolingian Renaissance, which advanced the church, education, and culture in the Holy Roman Empire. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Send them, send them their emails to idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. I'm very grateful for your questions, comments, conundrums, snarks. Even sent to idea at wretched.org. All right. From Carla. Hello, Mr. Friel. The, mm. The, mm. I know she only put my heart. I know it's the lack of respect from the kids these days. <laughs> okay. I was just trying to go think, okay, can I identify the age of Carla based on her name? I'm guessing she's neither like old or young because that name. Have you noticed how names are so generational? Right. It's like they kind of come and they go. And so if somebody goes, you read a letter from somebody and it's like, mine signed Dalton. You go, okay, you're like 18. Because that's kind of the the, the trend for We've got some friends, Jimmy. Mm -hmm. They just named their baby and they insist on not using any of the derivatives. They demand that everybody call their child his new name, which is? Jimmy. Walter. Okay. For a baby. Okay. See, Wally, I could deal with because Walter's an old name. That's like Walter. The only Walter I know is Walter Matthau. Can you think of any other any other Walters? And he's been dead for 20 years. Yeah, I can't. And he died of old age. Walter is an old name. So I'm just thinking, could you, could you, could you, could you, could you, could you, Walter? Because you can't baby talk Walter because it seems inappropriate because... <laughs> 
connotates age, please send your emails to idea at wretched.com. Oh, Carla did. Yeah, she did. <laughs> She's wondering, um, does mentoring Christians stuck in habitual sin back into a vibrant God-honoring life carry as much weight as the advancement of God's kingdom in sharing the gospel with unbelievers? Not an either or. And the liberty of the gospel allows you to pick how much time you're going to spend evangelizing. The question isn't, should I? No, the question is, how much can I? And how can I do that? And you get to study your favorite subject yourself to make that determination. What has God blessed you with? You, you've got something that you could contribute to evangelism. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily you're going out to do open-air preaching. You, you say, I just... You happen to be homebound, and, and you can't go out into this. You can't go out at all. You can still participate in evangelism. How? Well, you could send evangelistic booklets to people in the mail. You can talk to the people who call you on the phone, probably because your insurance has expired, because those are the only calls I seem to get these days. Or you can be praying for the evangelistic efforts of the people in your church. No matter how you slice the evangelistic cake, you should be cutting a piece for yourself. I'm not sure that illustration worked, but what could you be doing? And then you can ask, how much of it can I be doing? And then you make that decision, get godly counsel, and simultaneously be working on your sanctification. The Christian life is not an either-or scenario. It's an always-Jesus and please send your emails to idea at wretched.org. All right. From Michael, he's wondering if Christians should say, I will pray for you to a non-Christian. You can. Sure. Yeah. No, please note, while God hears, air quotes, hears the prayers of unbelievers, he doesn't hear the prayers of unbelievers. They have nothing to commend their prayers to God. They offer nothing but sin-stained hands. So God doesn't have any obligation to hearing the prayers of unbelievers. He's aware that they're making them. I think, I will say this, though. I, I think this is sound, that if an unbeliever prays to God for salvation, God will answer that prayer. Short of that, hmm, he's not obligated to do anything for anyone, whether believer or unbeliever. It is the Christian who has an advocate who brings our prayers to the Father, Jesus Christ. He's the one who makes them efficacious. So we can pray to God about anything that we want, including prayers for unbelievers. It, it, it really is okay. If that is a desire of your heart, Lord, we have some unbelieving neighbors. Uh, their dog ran away, and the kids are sad, and uh, one of the kids ran away. Would you, would you please help the police find the kid and the dog? Nothing wrong with that. Now, what about to their face? Can you say that you prayed for them? Sure. I think the reason for the hesitation that you might have is because you don't want them to think, oh, I'm good to go with God. Prayers offered for me are answered because it's me. You don't want to give that impression. But I don't think that it's wrong to say that you'll pray for somebody who isn't a believer. Sounds to me, though, like if that's the case, you might have an opportunity to I don't know, evangelize that person. Please send your emails to idea at wretched.org. All right, from Jack, he says, Todd, I know we're not supposed to slander the, the leader of our people, but does, but does that include the governing body? 
I said the, I've said the government stinks recently because they tax dead people. Is that bad? Uh, you know, in uh, I, I, the only reason I'm even gasping for air, it seems, is just the word stinks. Okay. I think I think I think that I would if I were going to alter that, I would try to make it more prophetic as in preaching at the government. The government is sinning. The government is 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 unaware that the Bible says it's a good thing that a godly man leaves an inheritance for his children and they want to tax dead people. Well, I wouldn't maybe put that up there with the top 10 wicked activities of all time, but that's sinful. They need to repent. And we need to pray that God will provide a more godly government. I think that's the language. So I do think you can be critical of those things, but it really should be biblically informed. And we have to watch that fine line of righteous indignation and just being torqued about it. So if you can navigate that line, and if you can speak it prophetically, biblically, then I don't think there's anything wrong with criticizing not only the government, but also a leader, also a leader. We should be that voice, but it needs to be a distinctly Christian voice when we go about the business of criticizing. Or I would say this, you want to exercise your rights as a Christian in a particular country. We'll just stick with the one I'm sitting in America. Can you go to a rally? Yes. Can you, as long as you're not breaking the law, can you go to a big event where there's going to be speakers? Yeah, be wise about who the speakers are, associations, who you're going to be bumping up against because you might get lumped in with them and consider what your signage is and think it through wisely. Do I sound like a Christian when I'm at a secular political rally? I might not want to do that. I might want to just have the message so that Oh, people don't conflate that Christians being involved in politics means we're seditious, which I got to tell you, that's a rumor that's gaining some traction these days. That That is a soundbite that is, that is getting picked up, that Christians are insurrectionists, and we do well to be mindful of that. To be able to say to somebody, hold on, um, you can't lump every Christian together, but they don't discriminate in that regard. So I think we need to be thoughtful in how we do these things, how we engage in politics, how we go to rallies, and how we speak to a really crummy government. Please send your emails to idea at wretched.org. All right. Uh, this one comes from Anonymous. He says his question is in regards to marriage, more specifically intimacy in the marriage. If God created sex to be between a marriage, why do I feel guilty having a romantic relationship with my wife? Is there such thing as too far in marriage? Okay. A couple of, couple of things going there. there. There could be two reasons for your guilty conscience, and that is that you are doing something that you shouldn't be doing. What are those things? Well, each man and each woman together, they explore those things and they make those decisions together. And if your spouse says, no, I don't think so, then you say, I honor that. We will not be doing that. 
Is it possible, I don't know, I'm just asking, is it possible that you have been imposing yourself, forcing yourself, doing things that you know makes your spouse uncomfortable? That could be why you feel guilty, but there's a second reason you might be feeling guilty. And this is where biblical counseling shines like a star in the sky in the middle of the Alaskan tundra where there's no light. This is biblical counseling. It's going to go in and figure out, okay, you're feeling guilty about an activity that you shouldn't feel guilty about unless, of course, you're doing it sinfully. Let's go explore why. Let's go see what that is. One of the places where I'd start is, um, are, are you aware that intimacy isn't a sin? Are you aware that it's actually a vivid picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you aware that God created pleasure? We didn't evolve it so that you could actually enjoy it. That's right. This is Intimacy is many things, but one of them is pleasure, and it's okay. What is your relationship like with God? Do you, do you think that he's holding a stick over you? I would even explore, were you told as a kid, don't do sex, it's filthy, dirty! And some of that residue remains. Go explore your heart, and then explore your activities. Talk to your spouse about it, and then enjoy it biblically. This is Wretched Radio. Permit me to introduce you to Brie and Salvation Dominoes preborn style when one person gets saved they have that burning desire to just make him known the same way that was made known to them and then it's just this domino effect brie currently volunteers at a preborn life center how did she get saved from a friend whose mother got saved at you guessed it a preborn life center why? Because preborn, it is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. And look at the domino effect. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28 for an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. What tends to come to mind when you think of heaven? Do you picture pillows of clouds, fat baby angels, the strumming of eternal harps? Don't feel bad if those are thoughts that you've had over the years, because honestly, the world and the media has portrayed heaven to be just that, cartoonish. But trust me, you're in for much more than that. God has etched eternity onto our hearts because as Christians, we long for heaven. It's our home. Earth is temporary. We know heaven will be our permanent home and our permanent location. And that's why our minds tend to wonder what it will be like. And Randy Alcorn, he's compiled 50 inspiring and thought-provoking devotions that will keep our minds focused on the things above. He covers common questions that many of us tend to have about eating, relationships, pets, working, among other possibilities of what heaven will be like. So do yourself a favor, avail yourself to Randy Alcorn's 50 Days of Heaven. It's available now in the Wretched Store at wretched.org. Good news, there are actually thousands of pastors in Germany. The bad news is they're not very equipped. 
Theological training in Germany and in Europe is so needed because you don't really get any formal training, not in a church or anywhere else. Being at a TMAI training center, probably the first time that you ever get any formal training how to understand scripture, the church, and how to apply it in your own life. Germany is not the only nation that has a drought of qualified pastors, but the Masters Academy International is changing that one country at a time, currently in 17 nations, with mini seminaries, with graduates from the Master Seminary, training indigenous men to rightly divide the word of truth. Would you please consider adopting your own seminary in one of 17 nations? Please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Titles of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called God and Savior. If Jesus were only human, His death could not have paid our debt. But Jesus is both man and God, able to represent us, yet able to bear the wrath of the Father. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Uh-oh, this is Wretched Radio. Hoping that you'll send emails to idea at wretched.org or call the old toll-free. Please leave a message. Try to keep it pithy so that Jimmy does not have to inaccurately represent you while he edits you to pieces. one 282 beep Here's my raw. I am looking now into the phone call folder, and this this is what I see. This is this is how much I, I get exposed to. ALI correction. So I'm thinking, okay, is it Alabama? No, that's ALA. Al uh, uh, Alistair Begg correction? Uh-oh. Hey, guys. Uh, Monday you were playing a sermon from Alistair Begg and discussing it, and everything was going great until you got <laughs> to the part where you said where Alistair Begg's church was at. Mm. Alistair Begg's church is not outside of Cincinnati. It's outside of Cleveland. Uh, yeah, but- However, we will take your condolences, even though we are not the city of the Bengals. We still are the city of the Browns. So, condolences received. Thank you. <laughs> you still need those, don't you? Now, technically, if I wanted to be a really crafty pastor or a kid trying to get away with a crime, I would say, well, is, is an Alistair Begg's church outside of Cincinnati? Is it in Cincinnati? No, then it's outside of Cincinnati. So I wasn't wrong because I'm a radio talk show host. My apologies to the entire state of Ohio and I think it's Parkside Church outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Jimmy, I happen to have, hold on, let me see if I can find this here. It's kind of interesting. I received an email about Alistair Begg from a fellow whose last name is Begg. What are the odds of that happening? Oh, yeah, here it is right here. (laughs) Josiah. My name is just, I'm 33 years old from Northeast Ohio, Cleveland area. Mm -hmm. I've grown up in the evangelical church scene in the area, and I've seen a large decline in the last 20 years. You've been paying attention. The greater Cleveland area has 2 million people with a very strong Roman Catholic presence. Yeah, Midwest, they tend to have more of a foothold than they do down south. 
The Cleveland Diocese currently has 682,000 members, 25% of the population. The expository Bible teaching at the majority of evangelical churches has been tossed aside for the business model. The only church I have worshiped with that has true Bible-based teaching is Alistair Begg. No relationship. And Parkside Church. However, Parkside is 35 minutes from us and not in our community. That raises a question that many people have. You want a Bible teaching church. So you find one like a needle in a haystack. Uh, it's 45 minutes away. Should you join it? Should you not? Because it's too far away. And I don't think that we can have a hard and fast rule on it. Because for some people, 45 minutes, that ain't nothing. 45 minutes, that's like going to the office every day. It's not a problem for me. Or it's rural. There's no traffic. It's not a, there's there's just no options. We're, we're in the middle of Montana. And that church, everything is 45 miles away or 35 miles away. So it might not be a big deal. But having said that, if the church distance, whether it's 3.5 or 35 miles, causes you to not participate in your church as much, then you'd be better off someplace else. And that might even mean a bit of a downgrade, not into the land of apostasy, but you know, not as good. But the life of the church is so important. If you're not constantly surrounded by believers, exhorting, encouraging, perhaps rebuking you, you're, you're just missing out on sanctification, the joys of the one another's. So no hard and fast rule on this deal, but try to find the best church you can, as close as you can, and join it. All right. So here's, here's, here's my next surprise. Okay. Unknown slander. That's what it says. <laughs> Unknown slander. No, that's a, that's a legitimate question. But but see, I'm sure it is. But see, this is why I sweat. This is the one segment <laughs> a week where I sweat. I don't know what it is. This It's sort of like our annual board meeting when I need to present the financial statements for the year and the budget going forward. I, <laughs> I just sweat a lot because one of our board members is a financial guy. He was a CFO. And he kind of knows spreadsheets. And I've got that meeting next week. So be praying for me and sweating. My question is, you slander someone. You know you did. You feel terrible about it. The person doesn't know you slandered them to someone else. Mm. Do you still go to that person, which could open up a wound that they don't know about. But I feel like I'm not making restitution if I just repent to God. But I still said these things about this person. Uh, why isn't isn't life that way? <laughs> don't you wish it were always just simple? When you slander somebody, do you have to tell them, hey, I slandered you even though that you don't know it? And I think the answer is no. Why do I say that so quickly and confidently? I think as much as it is unto you able for you to go about the business of making amends, you should do that when it's wise. It is not always wise. It it's not always necessary. If they don't know about it, why would you do it? You'd, you'd be doing it again. I, I always th I always think about a guy. Imagine some guy at church w walking up to a young lady. Hey, how are you? Um, I have to confess something to you. Um, when we're in church, I'm actually having thoughts about you. Okay. 
You're going to look like a creeper, for starters. Second of all, now you make her uncomfortable. The burden should be on you to deal with your sin and stop it. I just don't think that that scenario is wise. Now, the only consideration that I would give to your pondering as to whether or not you should tell the person you slandered who doesn't know it is, might they hear it? Might they hear it? You could get in front of that, and you could even get in front of that without being deceptive in any way by saying, hey, I just, I, I want you to know something. I'm, I, I'm sorry because I just don't know what I was thinking. I, I said some things about you to some friends. Not true. I just, I just want you to know I've told them, I've, I have gone to them and said the, the information was inaccurate and I asked for their forgiveness too because I forced them to participate in gossip and slander. So, uh, if you don't mind, I don't want to share what it is because it would just hurt our relationship. I just want you to know I'm so sorry. And then you got in front of it. So if they do hear about it, at least they know your heart in it. Should we do those things? Yes, as much as we are able and when it is wise. I've just been wondering in the Bible and the officials and Paul, he talks a lot about women and their role in the church. I'm just wondering like, how much of that applies to us today and like, how do we follow it? Like, parts of it, he says women aren't even allowed to like, speak in church. Like, does that still apply to us? Yeah, the, the, when you read through an epistle, most of it does. But there are some times when the context of the historical setting would indicate, no, that was just for that group of people because of what they were experiencing. And that's, that's the importance of doing your research before reading a book to understand what was going on in the particular church where Paul said, ladies, zip, they, they were in a church that was out of control. And Paul was shutting it down. He wasn't saying women should walk through the door of a church and be silent. No, that's not what he was after. He was dealing with a particular situation. Now, what about the other issues regarding women? They're pretty straightforward. They are historical, most certainly, but they're also didactic, and they're written to the church. And if they're written to the church specifically, they're usually written to the church at large. Not always, because there's those exceptions. But usually it's written to you, too. So we need to adhere to whatever rules Paul lays down regarding women. And if I could point this out, please, you can't help but notice how God talks about women compared to the way people in the first century talked about women and treated women. I mean, you get details in the Gospels of women participating in the ministry of Jesus. Why is that detail in there? Why does it actually say that one was a Martha had a house? The church was in her and she funded Jesus. What, what about uh, 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 Priscilla and Aquila? Why is she mentioned? Why not just Aquila? Because God loves women. God esteems women the same as men. He values them as a better word as much as men. God is not sexist and the New Testament makes that abundantly clear, and yet there's got to be order. I'm telling you, if God did not define these things, starting in the home with the role of men and women, give or take, no, it would be 100%. It would just be a constant, I'm in charge, you're in charge, no, I'm not going to, you're a, God settles it. Here's how it's going to run. Same thing inside of the church. If we don't have order inside of the church that is established by God, we're going to try to write our own rules and chaos will ensue. So please note, if you're a woman 
God doesn't consider you to be a second-class person. You are as beloved in Christ as any male is and vice versa. Don't be discouraged by that. Be encouraged that God is wise and he knows that if he did not create order, then we would be busy creating chaos. Then until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>